You're listening to the Next Generation Podcast, weekly interviews with the most interesting and successful 20-somethings out there. All right, on today's episode, we might have our coolest guests yet. I don't know if you've heard of them, but uh, they go by Gio and Connor. Um, We're going to pretend that we didn't forget to get a guest for last week, and we still don't have one for tomorrow, and we're not currently recording at 9 p.m. on a Tuesday night before publishing on Wednesday. But we did think it would be a great opportunity to kind of explore actually what Connor and I have done and our past and the businesses we've run and the mistakes we've made since we haven't really dug into that yet. And other than our friends and family, a lot of you probably haven't heard any of those stories. Yeah, figured we can kind of just jump on the mic for it in the next 30, 40 minutes and just talk about mostly cardly stuff. Um, I also know uh, at this point now, like, Gio and I were just chatting, and it's like we actually have a lot of really cool guests lined up. Like we literally just chatted with, uh, some guy named Johnny and he's 22 years old and selling uh, window cleaning services, making $700,000 a year. Um, so that's going to be going on next week. So we have a lot of really cool guys and girls lined up. Um, but in the meantime, you guys get us. So hope, hope you enjoy. Uh, also another little personal news, just quit my job uh, last week. So going to be spending a lot more time on the podcast for anyone listening. And if you guys know of guests who would be interesting um, or if you think that you guys want to come on the show yourselves, uh, hit us up on Twitter, um, email us, reach out, or anything like that, um, and we would definitely be down to chat to get some more guests on because we want to double down on some of the content front for all of this kind of stuff in 2021. Perfect. All right, so I think one of the easiest places to begin might be how did Connor and I meet? Um, we both went to Northeastern together. I think we had a marketing class or no international I think it was business. International business. Yeah. Yep. And then, and then somehow we were ordering phone pockets like a month later. <laughs> but... yeah, I, I, so I think, I, think, I think you missed a step there for a second there. So let, let, me, let me actually kick it off from the beginning. So Gio and I both went to Northeastern. We both did this really weird thing called NUN, uh, which is like we studied abroad the first semester of our freshman year. Um, and so I went over to London. Gio went over to Greece. And then, you know, our friend groups kind of met up when we got back to Boston and we became friends because we were in the same class together and it was kind of a BS class. But uh, you know, so be it. Um, and right off the bat, you can kind of tell Gio was pretty entrepreneurial because we would have group meetings and he would just totally flake out in the middle of a group meeting, like, like as if he was dealing drugs. And I remember very specifically, like we were in a couple of them and he's just like, Oh, I gotta go. Something just came up and just like run out of the room. And a bunch of us were just sitting there like, so Gio's a drug dealer. Uh, and Gio, I guess this is probably a good time to you for you to actually like you know get, cover your alibis and explain what you're actually doing. That, that yeah, that's, that's a fair point. So I was surprised I'm not 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 a drug dealer. Um, I <laughs> I was flipping gift cards as a way to make some money in between classes, which was like kind of a super weird niche. But I actually ended up making like a couple grand a month. Um, it just got a bit time a couple, consuming. Couple grand, like, were you making like a couple grand profit? Yeah, I'd made like 1500 to two grand per month. Um, again, su- super weird niche, but yeah, the, the issue would be didn't fit well with group projects and, and everything else when I had to go meet someone at Dunkin' Donuts and Wait, go buy their gift card. But explain the real issue of the clientele you were dealing with. It was definitely an interesting clientele. Um, a lot of like late night people that all of a sudden needed money real quick. <laughs> 
Or uh, at one point, I also got kind of sketchy with someone that, that wanted to flip like, it was like 10 grand in Target gift cards. And I was like, all right, well, this is not the amount of money a normal person has in Target gift cards. And later found out, I think they were like stealing, stealing from uh, Target and then, and then returning it and getting the gift cards and trying to launder them through me. So stayed far away from those. But yeah, combination <laughs> of not a great clientele. Um, and then we also had other projects to take off too. But um, there so, yeah. Well, so yeah, so that was that was Gio's background, basically uh, peddling Starbucks gift cards and the Patagonia gift cards for a fraction of the price. He was your favorite little corner guy, uh, <laughs> moving that kind of that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, like most random entrepreneurial high school students, I guess at the time, uh, my only background ever really selling stuff was like selling T-shirts in high school. Um, I entered a little business competition in high school. And was like, okay, what's going to do something that's going to win me this competition, look good for college and make me money at the same time. And I basically started like a charity t-shirt company called Benethread, where it's like every single t-shirt had a different design of an organization that like would basically toss back like 20% of all the profits to that organization. Um, so like some could say like a modern day Patagonia, but like in its prime. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's it, I, think, I think we made a great... Yeah, I think we made a grand total of like 10 to 15 grand or something like that uh, doing it. It was a ton of fun. Uh, looked really good for college apps. Um, but the point of the matter is, is that when Gio and I finally came together in this international business class, uh, we both were doing something that was more than just the stereotypical internship nine to five um, that a lot of the college students tend to go and strive for. And so I think we got to talking one day. I don't know how it came up. I want to say... I want to say I kind of vaguely remember me texting you, be like, "Yeah, do you want to start a business together?" But I also might be making that up. Do you, Do you have any better recollection of it than that? No, I, I remember. I've been using Alibaba for like a bunch of random projects. I think mm. I've been trying to do some weird like gift card Bitcoin thing and a hor horrible combination of stuff. Mind you, this um, is 2015, so that was that was ahead of its time. It sure was. Um, yeah, I don't. I I really kind of blanked on on how that <laughs> transition happened, but yeah, I think I think you you must have said something, and then and then I think we just started brainstorming what like what what would work right. well to order. Because um, I because I remember what? at that time, as I was gonna say, I remember at that time too, we were kind of brainstorming like, okay, like what what would we 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 kind of actually repositioned it, right? We didn't even say like, let's start a business together. I think the exact verbiage that we used was like, hey, we wanted to sell something. Like we had no idea what we wanted to sell. We were like, we're gonna find something to sell though. Um, and I think your first thing that you pitched me was, I wanna say it was uh, phone cases, not the, not the pockets. I think it was phone cases with country flags on them, if I remember correctly. Does that sound familiar? I don't no, even remember. Okay, keep, I, it it makes sense though because we did end up ordering the the phone pockets with like um at least like the Boston ones and, and and flags and stuff. So that would make sense. So yeah, the the story basically was we got together. We were just like, hey, we've both done something in the past. Gio was selling Starbucks cards. I was selling uh, humanitarian goods to try to better the world. Um, <laughs> and, and, uh, providing liquidity and, to a market. Uh, there we go. Yeah, the classic finance guy. All right, so um, so basically we go and we get together. We're like, let's sell something. I think yeah, Geo was a little bit more plugged into the Alibaba side of things, um, and so he was like, oh look, we can get like you know uh, American flag phone cases, England phone cases, whatever. And 
then somehow we kind of transitioned away from phone cases because we were just like, I actually found out, I was talking, having this conversation with someone literally like a month or two ago. He, I don't know if it's true. I didn't fact check him at all. So if his fake news spreads, uh, sorry. But he, he like swore to me that phone cases was the number one like selling item category in Amazon um, in terms of just like volume. So it kind of makes sense. Um, but don't don't totally believe me on that until you do your own research. Um, but the the bigger thing that we realized was that as soon as we got to campus, like that was the first time I've ever seen like a phone wallet where if for anyone who's listening, like, most people, I guess, at this point, if you're, if you're listening, you probably have some ideas to we started this company called Cardly, which is a stick on cell phone wallet uh, that you would put on the back of your phone. You put cash, keys, cards, whatever you want to put in there. Um, and it's super convenient because like as a student, you get this thing called like a student ID. And it's like really the first time in your life that you're ever consistently always carrying around like a credit card, a student ID, like, you know, maybe some like cash or a debit card or, or something like that, like a driver's license, like coming from high school, it's like you can kind of always leave a lot of stuff at home or in your car or whatever. Uh, but once you're actually in a city and on campus, like you just kind of always need that stuff with you. Um, and so we all started getting these around campus at like the student fairs. They were just throwing these things at us. And it was like girls would spend like 50, 60, 70 dollars on like their super bougie phone cases that were like minimalistic and like really nice. Uh, and then they would just like slap on like, you know, a Lyft or like a local real estate company's uh, phone wallet on the back of their phone just because they like the utility so much. And so. I think if I can remember correctly, our original like thesis, our idea for our product, it's like, let's do that, but let's go and make the designs better. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the idea was to, to match, right. Spending $50 on a cool design phone case, you'll probably spend a couple dollars on a cool design phone pocket. And I think yeah. from there, we ended up just asking people like, what, what, like, what would you want on there? And I think, I think our original batch, we ordered, we got like plain colored ones. That, that, that was a mistake because um, th <laughs> those are kind of like not not unique in any way we got we got a boston skyline one we had and then my girlfriend at the time designed or still girlfriend <laughs> um <laughs> designed designed like a she, she was drawing like cool um like mandalas and different shapes and stuff and i think she was showing it to me i was like well why don't we like why don't we throw this on a phone case or phone pocket see see, see what happens everyone liked the designs we had, did we have anything else? I think we had a couple yeah, of them. It was, it was, we had, no, we had five SKUs. We ordered 400 of each. And so we ordered like, it was, it was a uh, five SKUs. Three of them were blue, white, and black. And we ordered 400 of each of those. We ordered 400 boss and we ordered 400 mandalas. And the, the, the funniest part was we had, like, I don't really think we thought past the, that part. Like, I think, I think we no, just went online the next day Dude, I and, actually, and ordered them. Oh yeah, that's exactly what we did. We literally, we just put up a few hundred bucks each and we just ordered 2000. And I actually, I, I won't name names on the podcast. I'll tell you afterwards, but I don't know if I ever told you this. I so still clearly remember walking around the library and I just told someone, he's like, Oh, what are you doing? I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm trying to sell these things with Geo. And I was trying to say, like, Oh, it's cool. Like, what are you, what are you doing with it? I was like, Oh, well we just ordered 2000. And like the dude laughed in my face. He's like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And like, I've never brought it up with him again since. Like, actually, I think when we sold the company, he congratulated me. Uh, but I just so like that to me, I was like, well, fuck, like maybe, maybe he's right. Cause I think, I think what ended up happening is like Amazon wasn't even a thought at the time. We were like, oh, we're just going to go and like, you know, sell these to all of our friends and family. And then like, I, I don't know what, where the disconnect was when they arrived. We're like, oh, 
we don't have 2000 friends. <laughs> <laughs> like we, we very quickly realized like we we're gonna have to start peddling these things like through the back channels of the internet or through through alleyways in Boston or something like that. So that kind of brings us to the next challenge of distribution. But, but we did have, I, I do remember we showed up the first day, I think with just a trash bag into the cafeteria. And I think we did end up selling, I think we we're selling them for $5. We, we ended up selling like a couple there. I'm like, wow, this is, you know, I'm, again, the friends that we were sitting at the table with bought them from us and then quickly I'm, realized, yeah. yeah, we have 1,950 left. I was gonna say I'm very convinced that we sold like 50 to 60. Like we have a, a solid a solid friend group with a lot of like you know really loyal people who are just like you know we'll go if you guys made it like yeah take my five dollars like I don't even want one of these things but like you guys are good people so like we we had some good friends at the time that we definitely owe a lot of gratitude to but yeah after that then we were like so what do we do with the rest of these um, and actually like the funnier story is like I think so we started this thing march april something like that um and actually so it's april 13th right now like realistically it could be what five six years to the day something like that roughly um and so there's actually patriots day in boston which is the boston marathon uh for anyone who's not familiar and so like we have often class and like usually it's just like everyone just goes and just like gets drunk and parties and like i think we ended up doing that towards the later half of the day uh but in the earlier half of the day we're like you know what? We have 400 Boston Skyline phone wallets. Let's go sling these things to the finish line and make bank. Like, like payday is here, and we are going to be, like, rolling in. Our friends are drinking right now. We're about to be earning some serious cash. Um, I think we showed up to the finish line with a box, and we stood there for, like, two or three hours, and we sold one. Sounds and like a <laughs> Yeah, dude, it was, it was like the old lady. She's like, I think my grandson will like this. Uh, it was the most humiliating thing ever. We just kind of like stuck our tails between our legs, dropped the boxes off at Gia's dorm. I think we just went and got drunk after that. Uh, but it was it was like just so, we're like, like it, it was an immediate like hit to the gut of like, hmm, we should probably rethink the strategy here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we I think we were just walking around. Like it definitely must've been really annoying for anyone there. Cause I think we were just, anyone would walk by and we're like, you want to, want to buy one of these yeah yeah we're, so. we're kind of being really obnoxious when everyone else is just trying to watch the race yeah um, i don't think that didn't work either and then i think at that point we decided all right we need to you know do non-local sales and then i think i think we made we made a website we i think we put them on amazon i think we put them on etsy or maybe we didn't put them on etsy at that point no i think, I, just, I think etsy i think etsy was before amazon maybe i'm wrong about that but I, I always remember we did a website, did nothing with it. Like, I don't even think we ran Facebook ads. Like, I don't I don't know what we did with the website, honestly. And I I do kind of remember, like, listing two of the products on Etsy. And I thought we did, like, a couple thousand in sales, but nothing significant. I, I do remember, though, that we listed the one product. Oh, sorry, maybe we listed all of them. But I remember specifically we listed the Mandala product on there. And that first year, I think we did, like, 30 grand, right? Yeah. And yeah, but, but as soon as we started listing them online, we, you know, we'd get like kind of a sale here and there. And we're like, all right, well, this is definitely, definitely the strategy we're going to have to go. We're going to have to focus on like some sort of e-commerce thing. And then I think we, do yeah, you, I think we, do, what? do you remember like the, do you remember the first sale that we got online? I rem, I think the Amazon one, I, 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 I very specifically remember sitting in the basement of Snell, I think trying to figure out how to list them on Amazon. 
because for anyone that's never listed a product on Amazon, they ask you a million questions like, yeah. what kind of batteries does it use? It's like, yeah, oh, I was just thinking about the battery thing. Like, is it safe for children? There's no batteries. Stuff. I was like, I, I think it's safe for children. I don't know. Yeah. It was like, how big is the LCD screen? I was like, it's, I was like, what? So I think that the, took the us cool, like a The cool part is, yeah, I was going to say, I remember the first product we set up on Amazon. Yeah, because I remember sitting in the Ivy basement doing that too. It was just like we had in that classroom. The first product the we listed basement. on Amazon, uh, we like, it took us an hour to set up. I think by the end of it, we were setting up like a new product in just like a minute because we were just like, nah, we're just going to skip those five pages. Like, turns out they're not important. They're relevant to us at all. Um, but so, yeah. And then so, so basically we ended up going and listing them on Amazon. Uh, it, I, I do remember I, from I there because then I posted it everywhere on Facebook. And I think, again, we had right. loyal friends and family start buying them up. And I was like, all right, that's cool. We got, I don't know, 10, 10, 15 sales over that first week. And then the coolest part was then all of a sudden we get like another sale. I'm like, all right, well, right. Well, that's pretty interesting. And then I remember waking up one day, I was like, oh, wow. Like the we reports on Amazon at the time didn't even work well enough. I remember at one point I would have to look at the inventory and I'd write the inventory number down that was sitting at the Amazon warehouse and then check it the next day. I was like, all right, well, there's, there's 20, 20 missing from here. What, uh, you know, I think they were pretty delayed reports. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely remember like, so for me, I Shopify, I know always has that metric of like your, your first sale metric, right? It's like supposed to be the greatest feeling. And honestly, I don't totally remember ever having that first sale probably because we had a lot of our friends like look on like the 40th or 50th page of Amazon. So like really that first sale was probably just like a pity buy. Um, so I don't, I don't entirely like treasure or remember that, but I do definitely remember the, like the first week or so when like, you know, you'd start to wake up and realize that you made money overnight when you weren't doing anything. Like that was definitely a really cool feeling. And like in the beginning, it was never a lot. It was like, Hey, we sold like three, six, 10 products or something like that while you were sleeping. And I was like, that's pretty awesome. Um, but I definitely remember when it started becoming a little bit more consistent. But yeah, I think I think we can probably dive into the whole friends and family story too, because that was a little bit of a rabbit hole. Well, do you, do you remember the the photos we were taking the, on the well, desk? So the photos were the photos were terrible. We didn't even put it on a phone. We we had we had the worst photos you could imagine, which is hilarious looking back now. Because if you put a product on Amazon now with any like without any strategy and, and horrendous photos, like not like no one's probably going to find the product at all. Um, at all. Which in, you know, down the road, we're spending so much money on, on professional photos later on. But I mean, it's kind of like a, definitely a little bit of a spray and pray in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think honestly, like you look at, you look back on it and like a good chunk of it, it was definitely, we just got super lucky that we were like a little bit on the earlier side of Amazon and we were able to kind of make some of those mistakes. That being said, I think the one, the first big mistake that we can kind of dive into as well in the story is like we got kicked off of Amazon like the first month, maybe it was the second month that we were on Amazon. Um, and actually like hands down, one of my favorite things to do if, I've, if I'm ever like feeling down about myself or like anything is go and look. So basically for context, the reason that we got kicked off of Amazon is we had our friends go find our product, buy it, leave a review. And I think we gave them a coupon to go and do that too. So it's super well, we easy. We, we quickly realized that like, all right, what's working and what's not the listings that had one or two reviews sold way better than the ones that didn't. So we're like, all right, well, right. we hadn't read any of the Amazon terms of service and 
batteries genuinely speaking i don't think we were trying to be malicious i just think that we were 18 years old and our page our product is on like the 17th page and we're like how do we go and make this better right? yeah, and every and additional I, review we had we ended up getting more consistent products so then we we're like all right well yeah the one thing that's working getting more reviews that's that is what we're going to do now is try to get as many reviews as possible which is apparently a big no-no and then yeah, we gave a lot of people like 99% off coupons and they'd have to pay a penny. Um, and then and it was probably like, it took kind of a, like a couple of weeks, I think. Or I, think on, yeah. I think, and then all of a sudden we got some warning. We're like, all right, well, we're going to stop this. But at that point, I don't really think they cared. Um, and then, yeah, and then we just got the notification. I was like, all right, your account's been suspended. We may or may not reinstate it depending on how we feel and we're like all right shit because at that point we actually had sales coming in i'm like now what so we frantically <laughs> i ended up hiring someone online who's like a pro at this who was a pro at this and it was and i think it was still kind of garbage what they wrote because you have to write like a, a fancy response on admitting what you I did script and and connor and i had no idea it was like is this script is this good like they said you have like one or two chances maybe unless you get permanently banned so we posted it online on one of the Amazon forums. We're like, hey, guys, we got suspended. This is what happened. Is this a reasonable response to it? And the comments we got were the... Were so bad. It, like, people just... I don't, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to picture them if they're sitting I, at a desk can, like, very angry or like it got so aggressive to the I point where they were, they were trying to look up the school we were going at, trying to find us jobs, saying that like we never knew how to run a business. We couldn't... You know, we, we were horrible people. Our friends and family are going to hate us because all of their Amazon accounts are going to get suspended. <laughs> the, the, the best the best was it was like, uh, hey, I don't know who you guys think you were trying to do by pulling a fast one on like us good people of Amazon. But like I just took a look and Shaw's Star Market Grocery Market uh, is hiring just down the street. Like you're probably better off applying. Or like, I think the other favorite one I had was at this point, we weren't using our website at all. I think, I think we we're honestly using WordPress instead of Shopify too at the time, which I don't even know why. But anyway, uh, somebody like looked up our names, then looked up the brand, then like, or, like somehow found that like really janky WordPress site that we were using. And then was like, by the way, your website is garbage, garbage signed guy with who owns 100 websites. And I was just like, I think at the time definitely phased us a little bit looking back now it's very easy to tell like no one who's actually like successful or like selling a lot of this stuff are gonna go and troll you on the internet that hard like like no one has the time for that no one has the inclination like if you're if you're just trying to go and like make some money or something like that like people usually will applaud it it's usually the people who are selling like one item a week or something like that that tend to be the trolls and kind of like the ones with nothing else better to do um, which you definitely don't realize yeah. though at the time, which is kind of the, at the you know, time you don't realize that. it's funny to look back on, but it's definitely super annoying when it happened. So, so basically we got, we ended up getting relisted and this was the first year. So I, I think what, how I always like to break it down for people are kind of like the sales numbers. Cause I think people find that kind of stuff interesting. So first year, 30,000, that was, was it 2016? I don't want to say second year, 2017. Oh no, no, no. Sorry. That was, was that 2017? I don't know. 2017, we did 150K. Uh, 2018, we did, I think I'm a year behind. 2019, I think we did 850,000 um, because we ended up going on co op for ourselves. Uh, and then the year before we sold to, to 2019, okay, I, I understand now. So 2019, 
we did 1.2. 2018, we did 850. 2017, we did 150. And 2016, we did 30. That makes more sense. Sorry for the confusion. Um, but so, so what's kind of fun about it is we got to the point where we did 30K the first year. Next year, we were starting to ramp it up, right? We did 5X our original sales. We were launching a few more products. And we were just reading a bunch of forums online and like Facebook groups. And we're like, all right, like where do people find new products? And and everything was saying like, there's this one fair over in Hong Kong that like you can go to and like find 20 new products in one one or two days instead of like just like surfing through all these like internet forums. And like they were saying that uh, a lot of the times like the suppliers will go and like bring exclusive products to these fairs. So we're like, huh, okay. Uh, and so one of the fun things that you and I ended up doing, I think it was our sophomore or middle year was like, we booked a Friday to Sunday trip like this in hindsight this is just so stupid but we looked at like a Friday afternoon to a Sunday evening trip round trip ticket to Hong Kong um which in of itself is like a like a 15 hour flight yeah it's a 16 hour flight so so here's here's basically the here's the way it worked we we left on Friday we arrived Saturday morning Hong Kong maybe we left Friday morning I forget exactly but I remember specifically we arrived Saturday morning like not hungover, uh, jet lagged as hell. I think I think we, we left went, Thursday night and arrived yeah, Sunday okay, morning, that something sense. like that. So Thursday night to Sunday. Yeah, because Sunday when you fly back, we left Saturday. We left mm. Sunday evening, but with the time change and the flight, you arrive like two hours later on the same day. Right. Okay. So so we left Thursday night and we arrived Saturday morning. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. Something like that. So we ended up arriving Saturday morning, and basically. Um, I think we got in there and it was just like an immediate, uh, an immediate, like just rush to the fair. Like we, we went out and these trade booths are just massive, like, like literally conference halls, like the size of like multiple stadiums of just all these different vendors. And you have people who are like in, uh, you know, buyers and stuff like that going up and down the aisles. And for like 48 hours straight, we basically, the, the first 12 hours we got there, sh- like shop, got a million different business cards. We really had no idea what we were doing. We were just talking to people. That night, I think we went out and got drunk, and then the next morning did it again and flew home. It was like just a, such a quick trip. I, the worst part is we didn't ever buy anything from that trip. Correct no, but I think I think what we did get out of it was getting a better relationship with our supplier because we ended up meeting yeah. our main supplier there and and chatting with them, and I think that definitely helped getting you know better terms and and, and pricing and stuff. <laughs> We never, we never launched a real product that we found there, but still but fun. I do think, to, yeah, to your point too, that's also really important because kind of the next thing I wanted to bring up was like the fact that we have definitely gotten screwed by suppliers in the past. I think people might find that part a little interesting too. Yeah, I mean, you want, absolutely. You want to get into that? Uh, yep. Let, let me see which, where's the best one to start? I think the first one that happened okay, so this was- This is a multiple, this is a multiple event. Uh, like every every year it happens about like a few times um but and then you know obviously helped we we learned from it usually and and structured things differently but the first time i think we were trying to do like a leather phone pocket with like an engraved mandala where it'd be like embossed so there'd be like a like a bump and then inside the bump i think it was debossed right debossed which i still never really figured out some some way it'd be like pressed in the design would be pressed into the leather and I think we, it was going to be like a black leather with a white mandala kind of pressed into it. Spent spend a little while designing it. We get the sample and the sample's perfect. It's exactly what we wanted. So we're like, all right, let's order. 
I don't know, 20,000 or like a ton of them. And, you know, perfect suppliers working well with us. And then they come in and we start repackaging in them. They just weren't embossed at all. And the issue why it had to be printed in was because the paint will just rub off if it's not. So it just starts rubbing off. And I'm like, what the hell is this? And every single one didn't have it. And we call up the supplier and we're talking to him. He's like, oh yeah, my, uh, he's like, my boss thought this was better. <laughs> like, yeah, no. what? And we just got absolutely burned on that. And, and if anyone has ever worked in China, you can quickly realize money only really flows one way there. Uh, you, you're, it's not like that you're going to go and get a refund anytime soon. So we were kind of just out that money and just burnt on the supplier entirely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I tried to go after them on Alibaba and then it just didn't, nothing ever came of it. Um, and then, but that kind of led us on to how we structured for, for payments when we would pay for stuff. And then, and we would then do inspections that, that really got us on board with doing inspections to the fact where we would pay, you know, a deposit for the factory to start the production, but it'd be like 10 or 20% maybe. And we wouldn't give them the final amount either until it landed in the U S and we can inspect the product. But normally we only had one real supplier that would let us do that. Otherwise we would just have an inspection company go and check all the products, exactly what we're looking for. And yep. looking back on it, I don't, I don't really know how we didn't do it. Cause it was actually pretty, pretty cheap. And we should have been doing it from the beginning. Um, the craziest part about that, so that, that inspection company it used to be called Asian spec. Now it's called Q I M A. I think it's like quality inspection management, Asia or something like, something like that. Um, but the craziest part is we would get like a 70 page report from them for like 270 bucks or something like that. And they would fly was, someone like, to the factory to go yeah. and check it. And it would be like some statistical, like it would be, you know, they check one of every so many lots, you could pay a little bit more and they, they, they would check more. Or you could have like two awesome. people go for $300 and they'd spend two days kind of going through everything. It was, you know, definitely stupid of us to not, not start with that. But again, definitely Which became I, one of the processes. Should I now get into the co-op story or should I talk about the, oh, I have the confronting suppliers in China. Should that be later or should I, should I talk about that now while we're doing the counterfeit stuff? Um, well, yeah, I mean, pr probably now. I'd say the next, the next best one's probably, or the, not, that not the next best hilarious. one, the, the one in, in Hong Kong is definitely better. But we had at one point, we're looking through um, Amazon and we saw, our like custom glittery products online. I'm like, wow, this is weird that like we just launched these last week with like a very specific color combo. How did someone already copy us? Cause that was an issue we'll get into later, but that, that was probably one of the biggest um, frustrations. And we're looking through and I'm going through like, who's, who's selling these? And it comes back as the factory we're ordering from. And, and I messaged them. I was like, are you just like, selling our products trying trying to compete directly against us and they're like oh yep that's us that's 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 what we're trying to do and we're like can, can you not do that um, and excuse me, like, sir, could you like please stop trying to rip us off and they're like yeah sorry we didn't realize it was going to be an issue it's it's insane and like in fact i still never really understood how they go and actually distribute that kind of stuff right like are they are they using 3pls in the us or they just like drop shipping it directly from there. I think it was their account or they had someone because I was able to dig it back. Like the name on the account was, was somehow related to the factory. Yeah. Um, I, all right. So 
so that was that was the second one. We ended up, I think they ended up taking their thing off because we still ended up working with them, which they were always the worst manufacturer that we worked with. We ended up working with three manufacturers towards the end of the whole thing, um, but they were definitely. They, they were another reason why we had to get an inspection company because at one point right. we got yeah, again all of the things just started peeling poorly. Twenty thousand, thirty thousand units or something, and you'd peel off the back, and rather than the uh, the cover of the adhesive coming off, the entire adhesive would come off, or the pocket. Actually, I remember wouldn't even open because it would just be glued shut. I remember this now. The only reason we stopped, we did not stop working with them on that spot was because we would have been out like 20, 30 grand or something like that. I'm pretty sure that we got them to issue like half of it as a credit for future orders. So yeah, honestly, if we didn't get any money back, we would have never worked with them again. But I think we somehow saved a little bit of face and we're able to kind of like fix it in the future. All right, that, is, that was kind of the second or third story of how we got screwed. The third, the fourth one, and this is honestly my favorite, not a supplier of ours at all. So I guess you can kind of like take that bit out of it. But this is now the second time that we're over in Hong Kong. You know, we're on our second day there. And I think that at this point, we did like a four, four or five day trip, or maybe it was only four days. So we had a little bit more time. We weren't terribly jet lagged. And we're walking up and down the aisles, and we see this sign that says like, hot selling Amazon product. And like, just let me paint the picture here real quick. There are... Like, because a lot of people, like, you probably haven't been over to Hong Kong or China, I'm guessing, if you're listening to this. Um, there were literally armed guards in this convention center with automatic weapons. Like, that's, I'm not exaggerating with that, right? Like, they definitely had automatic guns, right? No, I mean, definitely, like, a little bit of shock value when you, uh, when you show up there. So, so we're out here, and I don't know why they're there. I'm guessing they're there just because, you know, China. Um, but we're, we're going up and down the aisles and we see best-selling Amazon product. And there it is at the table with all of our products. And we're looking at it and I'm just like, I'm looking at G. I was like, hey, uh, like, correct me if I'm wrong, man. But like, this isn't our supplier, right? And he's like, nope. I was like, all right, here's what we're going to do. And we ended up, I think I think what we did was we weren't, we weren't sure what the strategy was going to be going into it. But I think the strategy we ended up going with was we grabbed some of the products. We walked up and we're like, oh, are you guys like the manufacturers for this? And we're like, yes, yes, we manufactured this product. Like, you know, we'll, we'll go and do uh, anything. How many do you want? And we're just like, oh, so like, what's this brand, what's this brand's name? She's like, oh, it's one of our, it's a uh, client of ours or something like that. I was like, so Cardly? And, and she was like, yes, yes, Cardly. Like, like we work for them. We're their manufacturer. We're like, that's so strange because that's us. And like her face just froze. She's like, what? And then she starts speaking in Chinese and she like starts pointing to like all of the like the employees that she has on the showroom floor and she's like pointing to us, she's like, they're cardly, they're cardly. And we're just like, and you guys have to stop selling these like right away. Like immediately Geo grabbed her business card. I think I walked up to the table with all of the product on it and I just grabbed all of them and I just started holding them in my hand. She's like, No, 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 like you have to leave these out for display. I was like, No, that's not happening. And Geo's like, Geo's like, we have intellectual, like I think at this point. It's it's China, right? So at the end of the day, like we are totally in the wrong. They they technically can do this, and so this is actually probably a little bit of a, a flaw on us. But like they, they totally can go and end up like selling these things. Um, but well, we one of the, like, one of the biggest issues, though, like the months leading up to this, we had like consistent counterfeit issues on Amazon where people take our listing under our brand name, try to copy the product as much as they could, and then like go to Amazon directly and say they're a wholesaler for us, sell it to Amazon under our brand name. And I, I, like at one point we're losing like 10 grand every, every couple of weeks. 
and, and counterfeit sales. So it was definitely like, definitely a frustrating like aspect that got even more frustrating right when we saw it because we didn't like, these are definitely the guys that were either hopping on our listing or selling to the people that were directly stealing our trademark in the US. And, you know, trying to figure that out with Amazon's a whole other issue because they do not care. But yeah, so give a bit more context, like we had been dealing with this issue for a while at that point. And so I think what we quickly like what we realized was that we're in China, we can't do anything. That's that's kind of the matter of the fact is that we were kind of screwed either way. That being said, Geo, uh, I, I was basically, I, I Geo grabbed their business card, was like, I'm gonna find you on Alibaba, whatever like that. I grabbed all the products. I was like, you're not showing these, like that's just not gonna happen anymore. And then we were like kind of just in a yelling fit back and forth for a little bit. And then Geo starts, I think he just like, you know, if you ever played poker with Geo, Geo is the king of bluffing. And so Geo goes on his phone and just pulls up the Cardly trademark and like, I, I don't know if they can really read English. They could definitely speak a little bit of English, right? But I don't know if they could, they could read it as well. And so Gio's like showing them his phone. He's like, this is our patent. He's like, like, we have an intellectual property patent on this. And he's like showing them the trademark. And so I guess they're a little bit more respectful about patents and that kind of IP versus just like copyright or trademarks. Because like, we really didn't have much intellectual property. It's a commodity good. They, they so, could have, like, there really wasn't anything illegal that they were partake the issue was in the u.s they were selling under our trademark and our brand right. name and right but the, so we might, might have bluffed a little bit while we were there um and then so we finally got to the point where yeah you started grabbing the stuff and then at this point we're just concerned that they're going to get security over because i mean who's security going to believe like the two dudes standing there yelling at the people paying up money to exhibit their products <laughs> or uh yeah or us and then we end up, but we ended up leaving and telling them like, I don't remember. I think I think we pretended that we had like I remember, attorney, I remember and, like we're gonna go after their Alibaba listing and and yeah, a bunch of other I remember, stuff. I remember they had all of our products listed on their Alibaba listing, and we basically said you have like three or four days to go and take these all down. Otherwise, we're gonna be filing a bunch of disputes and like things like that. Um, and they did. I think we like checked the yeah. next day and they were all down. So definitely worked. Uh, but. All, all I can say is it is a blessing working with China and it is a curse working with China. So um, just make sure that you try to structure your deals and, and your partners and make sure that you vet your suppliers and vet all of your competitor suppliers because that's important too. Um, all right, let's get into, so I think, I think we're getting a little bit too tactical for this episode. I think maybe we can take it a little bit more high level again and kind of talk a little bit more on like the co-op because I think that part, that part's kind of cool. And then, and then at the end, we'll touch on like how we sold the business, why we sold the business, that kind of stuff. Yeah, perfect. I think I think the co-op one is um, is funny. We because I think I think at that point we had been talking to the school about we had both done our first co-ops, so now we're on our second, and normally do three. So this is gonna be kind of our middle co-op. And just just for clarification, explaining what a co-op is. We went to Northeastern, where a co-op is a six-month full-time internship where you just don't have to be in classes and you can just work full-time. Right, and that's normally structured. You takes five years for undergrad, but it's like a year in classes and then you kind of do like semester on semester co-op semester back in classes and off um so at this point because i guess midler you're right so our third year we've been talking to them about it and then kind of been thinking it you know thinking it through a little bit of pushback i don't and then we were talking to a reporter well, so that was, i i could probably chime in here basically yeah. what i did is i just i emailed um, Boston, which is like a, a popular 
like startup publication in Boston. And I just even heard the subject line because at this point we we're doing we're like we're doing doing a decent amount in sales. Um, so I I emailed the subject line like two college students selling over a hundred thousand dollars in products or something. That was the subject line, and the body was super simple. It's like want to hear more? Like happy to jump on a call. Like here's my number, or whatever like that. So this lady hits us up and was like, hey, like I'm down for down to write an article about this. Like that's a catchy subject line. Like just a pro tip for anyone who wants to do PR. Like always put whatever you think the headline should be as the subject line, because if a reporter like that, they can automatically already see themselves start writing that article. Um, and I remember Northeastern, to your point, Gia, like they were giving us a lot of, a lot of slack about actually going and working for ourselves. Like Northeastern is great about going and starting a company and going and working for other companies. But a lot of times they put up a lot of administrative hurdles because they don't want, they don't want people to abuse the co-op system just to like kind of sit around for six months. It, so it was, it was like, like random really... stuff like like our like they wanted like a business plan. I was like, well, it's like we're doing like <laughs> we clearly have a business that's operational. Um, they wanted yeah. like a bunch of random other stuff. So we ended up talking to the reporter, and and I remember like it actually left off a little heated with I think one of the advisors where she was just like, here are like the nine things we want. And I was like, I was like, can we just show you our sales? Like like we're doing pretty well in sales. Like I don't I don't really know about like this go-to-market plan but like i can tell you right now like we're gonna double our sales next month um and we were talking to the reporter and you know we did a whole like interview it was like a little phone call she took a bunch of notes and, and published it and she asked us like okay cool like what's next for the company like what are you guys seeing for this and we chimed in at the end we're like oh yeah actually like northeastern already let us go and like do a full-time co-op that we're going to be starting to do in like the next six months like they're a really great like entrepreneurial school and want to support their students um, she's like, that's awesome. So she, so she added that into the end of the article and I'm pretty sure, uh, the day it published like the next week, we emailed it to the advisor, um, being like, Hey, just a heads up, like Boston thinks that we're going to be going on co-op full time. So I don't know what you guys are thinking. And, uh, we get an email back being like, your co-op has been approved. Like so-and-so is your advisor for the terms of the co-op whatever. Um, but definitely just one of the situations where, much better to ask for forgiveness than permission in that situation because we quickly realized i think we went from in six months time 17k a month to like ninety five thousand dollars a month just in sales because at that point too our other i think we weren't really concerned about getting the co-op either way because the other option would have been to just take a six month break and then it really wouldn't have structured it any differently because you can still graduate with with two co-ops and it kind of really made no difference to us you know at that point um but I think I think it definitely definitely helped. To it helps having the school's blessing. Yeah, for sure. And so I think we can kind of dive into some of this stuff. So right off the bat, um, I'm not going to say we got screwed because we, we kind of did it to ourselves. But we we went into the co-op hot where we were saying basically saying like, hey, here have been the things that we've wanted to do the past couple of months, have not had the time to do. Now we have the time to do it. Let's do them. And like hands down, the biggest item on that list was product development. So like, let's go out and let's create 30, 40 more SKUs, right? We, we had a pretty cheap product cost. So let's just go and develop all these new products. Um, if you're not familiar, there's this thing called Chinese New Year, where basically all Chinese manufacturers shut down for a month. We kind of knew this. I think we just forgot. I don't, I don't, or maybe we didn't know it at the time, but Either way, we ended up going and I, I want to say like the first month was just all, here's all the cool products we want to develop. And then the next month was, 
Well, now we're waiting for the manufacturers to get back to work so we can make all of these really great products. Um, but there's certainly a lot of other things that we can kind of work on in the meantime. But yeah, I think I think that also forced us to, because I think one of the other things we did was we ended up renting office space on Newberry Street. I think that was very beneficial um, to the extent that it made us, you know, wake, wake up early in the morning, then we work all day and, and come back and stay pretty focused on it. So we're sitting there, we're like, all right, well, this this is what we're doing for the next six months. We got to find something else to work on. I think then we you know started optimizing listings and and getting new photos and kind of digging into some more strategies there to not focus on the product development so much. And I think that was also very helpful to you know focus on the other part. And then by the time everything opened up, we just kind of went nuts and spent all the money in our bank accounts ordering <laughs> like yeah twenty thirty forty fifty new SKUs. And and just kept doubling down. We'd figure out what worked, what didn't work. Um, and then definitely the fastest growth we had because it was really the only time that we had, this is the only thing we were doing. And we'd see positive feedback in one area. We'd focus on that. Things didn't work. And, and you know, we wouldn't focus on them. Yeah. And I think, so while we were waiting to, the other thing that we actually really got right that I think a lot of e-commerce brands, especially, if you have a pretty complex supply chain, or I wouldn't say ours is complex. Um, you know, we were actually really lucky. We kind of just flew everything in by air. Uh, so probably like the opposite of complex. Uh, a a note on that, stuff. I think that was a, a huge factor in um, like allowing us to be as successful as we were because we were really bad at inventory management. Really bad, um, really bad. And you can fit a lot of box, you can fit a lot of phone pockets in a tiny little box. So in a worst case light. scenario, we could fly in products in kind of a week. Yeah, which is pretty nice. So the one thing that we definitely kind of redid during that entire time was we revamped our entire inventory management supply chain. So prior to that, it was always, let's order products. Let's have them shipped down to Geo's dad's place in uh, Rhode Island. Now let's go down and take a train down to Rhode Island and inspect all these things. Let's take them all out of the boxes, count them all, repackage them all. Now ship them out to Amazon. And it got to the point where we were like, okay, the count's good every time. Why are we still doing this? I think we just had so much PTSD from these flawed uh, previous orders. Well, in the the first version of our supply chain consisted of ordering everything to Northeastern. Right, and, that was and actually that quickly, worse. That quickly became an issue when we'd show up at the, um, the mail center with like four to five moving bins that people normally use like when they're moving into school. And then... They would just look at us like we were insane because all of a sudden they'd scan it and we'd have like, I don't know, 80, 45 pound boxes <laughs> just in, in like, in, and we'd have to fill them in and we'd get a bunch of people and then we would wheel them back up to our dorm. And I don't think our, our roommates were either too happy with us too in the beginning when we were just piling them all up in the living room. Um, so then version yeah. two consisted of shipping them to my house in Rhode Island, which still wasn't efficient because we were recounting everything and then we finally got a chance to work on version three. And so version three was essentially China to Amazon. Um, and honestly, like, you know, I think we are very lucky that we're not selling products that cost us $40 to go and manufacture, right? Because, you know, I, we can talk to Chinese or Amazon uh, sellers all of the time. And the biggest complaint we always hear is like, oh, they're like missing our product at the warehouse. And like, now I'm out hundreds or thousands of dollars, whatever. And like, I'll be honest, like, yeah, certainly like Amazon has lost some of our products, but we're selling phone accessories. And so a lot of times when they're selling, missing our products, we're not out hundreds of dollars or anything like that we're out dollars. So 
it's, it definitely became a lot better for us. And I think the biggest thing that that did for the entire business was make us a location agnostic business. We no longer had to go to Northeastern's mailing center. We no longer had to go and take the train down to Rhode Island to count out inventory. We can kind of just work wherever we had a laptop, right? Yeah. And, and then, and then we started getting some ideas on, well, now that we don't have to be in Boston, what are we going to do next? And I don't, I also don't really remember how we even got on the topic, but I, I think we just I figured no that idea. like we've been working in Newberry street every day and, you know, let's, let's see what the other options were. And I think we just started Googling like best place to work remotely um, and kind of going through that list and, I think you send me something or end of the we end up falling like all right bali would be would would be fun to go to for, for bali could be fun so so we basically we pitched our academic advisor on going to bali and he was just like what like like this is the same person who was like a little submissive about even taking the co-op in the first place uh and he was like so you guys want to go over to indonesia actually no, sorry so i i take that back we didn't pitch him on going to bali i think that would have been a probably just a better move because it was a little bit more straightforward. We said, Hey, we want to go and investigate manufacturers over in Indonesia. And he's like, so you want to go to Bali? And we were like, some of them are around Bali. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he was like, so you, you want to go to Bali for a month? And we're like, yeah, kind of. We um, also had our flight and, and yeah. So and we, we already yeah. had the flight booked for like yeah, two so weeks. We had, we had the flights booked already. So, so he ended up just being like, you know what? Like, at this point, we had more than 4x sales, monthly sales. And so he's like, you know what? Like at this point, just do the work. I'm fine with it. Uh, so we ended up going to Bali for the last month and a half of the co-op. Awesome time. Uh, if you guys ever, anyone listening, ever have a chance to go out there or work out there or anything like that, like just definitely do it. Like it was pretty sweet because it was the first time I feel like where you could really go and like design your lifestyle where it's a lot of we'd work on a Saturday, a Sunday, a Wednesday, and a Thursday, whatever met our schedule. And then like the other days during the week, you can either be like, hey, I'm either working today or I'm going on this monkey jungle adventure. Um, and so you can kind of be pretty flexible with like what you wanted to do. And it was just a totally cool spot because there are a ton of other digital nomads out there. And it also helped a lot from a time zone perspective because previously, right, China's 12 hours different. So it would usually consist of all the suppliers waking up at 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m. and now we're during the week and half the time we're up until two or three in the morning chatting with suppliers and, and trying to place orders it just wasn't a great schedule to end up being stuck on a computer in bed the whole night um but then there it ended up lining up and it was definitely very helpful to kind of be on the same the same time zone as everyone and i think while we were there as well we decided that um that we definitely had to bring on some help because I think the, the first issue we had was the supply chain and, and that was our biggest struggle in terms of scaling and, and trying to figure everything out. And then we realized that we, so that was done, that didn't really take a ton of time, but what did take a lot of time and the most frustrating part was dealing with customer service emails. For anyone that hasn't ever dealt with them before, that the, the people that tend to email you, sometimes it's fine, and then other times it's like, this is the worst event that they had this year was that your product came ripped. Like, yeah, yeah, we're selling hundreds of thousands of products. A small portion of them get damaged during travel or even quality control. Yeah, of course, we always refund and we'll send them a new product. But like, you just get really, really angry emails or like a angry review about 
like just being the worst company on on the planet. So we soon decided, like, let's figure this out. We're gonna we're gonna get rid of having to answer these emails, and then we decided, okay, let's let's look into hiring our first VA. Yeah, and honestly, that saved a ton of time. It was just able to like streamline all the operations. It's cool being able to learn how to hire them. I think for anyone who's interested. Uh, it definitely has been a more growing topic, I think, over the past couple of years. Uh, at least I've seen so on Twitter. But onlinejobs.ph uh, definitely was a great resource for that. And uh, Geo um, and I, like, we wrote up a job description. We did a bunch of different training. It was definitely a cool way uh, to kind of learn how to just even hire and manage someone. Yeah, I think one of the really helpful things we did in the beginning was we kind of mapped out through our day. Like, all right, we're spending this much time doing this, this much time, you know, working on inventory, working on new products. And then we just sorted it by, you know, what are we spending the most time on and what is the most frustrating? And then there were a couple of things that we didn't know how to outsource in the beginning, like new product development, but then continuously at the top of the list was, you know, customer service. Um, and that's, I think, a very helpful way of trying to figure out what you can, you know, the first thing to outsource in your company. Totally agree. And plus, it just makes the business a little bit more valuable, too. If you ever want to go and sell the business, then, you know, you at least have some operating procedures. You have someone who has a little bit of knowledge being transferred over with the business. So I think it definitely helps. Um, with that being said, we can probably start trying to transition to the to the latter half of this story where, you know, we finished up in Bali. Uh, I think I, I don't know. I think I went on to travel a little bit more. I don't, I don't know where you ended up going um, or maybe I went home. I forget. But I do remember that basically we finished up that year we went from 150,000 to in 2018 we did 850,000 and then we went back to classes and things just kind of stalled out like when you're not i think the biggest lesson i learned in all of cardly was truly if you treat something like a business it pays you like a business if you don't treat it like a business it will forever remain so and that that was just so evident to me when like we went back to classes and the year before we did 850,000 right we grew 4x we were like launching all these new products and then the year we were back in classes, we did 1.2 million. And so like, you know, you can look at that, you can say, okay, you still did 40% revenue growth is still solid. But the question I'll kind of always have is like, if we stayed full time on it, could we have done 4 million that year? I, I want to say yes, maybe we're just saturating the market too much. I don't know. I, I, there was definitely a diminishing law of return every time we launched a new product in terms of how many more sales it came out, uh, came to get, but, and also with Amazon being more competitive, but yeah, definitely, definitely a big lesson. I think we learned the whole time is like treat it like a business, and it'll definitely reward you as such. I, th I think, I think the other one too. It's kind of a, a separate topic, but was the the focus on what's working and like stop trying to make new mini businesses. We kept trying to launch. So Connor said we cannibalized our own sales, and that was our biggest concern with launching new phone pockets and designs. We're like, all right, well, we're selling, you know, ten thousand of these a month. How many? You know how many more can we really sell? Or we're selling, you know, two thousand blue ones. Like how, how many more blue ones are there going to be? And so our hesitation initially was, you know, there might just not be enough demand. So we we ended up launching like a water bottle. I think it was a Brio bottles was was the uh, the water bottle we launched. Just a knockoff of Swell. Yeah, we we just kind of didn't really innovate on that at all. Just tried to do it, um, and we kept trying like other side stuff and. You know, even had we not launched those, probably probably would have grown a little bit quicker. But we soon realized, all right, let's let's focus on building up a very specific niche brand around, you know, cell phone accessories and either credit cards or kind of holding a phone. Do you remember Mule? 
Yeah. So, so the, this is also during the time when the jewels became really popular, um, like the electronic cigarettes. And so we figured, all right, well, people put their credit cards on the back of their phone. Why not put your jewel on the back of your phone? And everyone kind of like the, the idea seemed really fun and, and, and funky and everyone liked it. <clears throat> the issue was, is that we called it the mule M U U L and jewel is J U U L. And for the trademark. And yeah. And my, my, my laptop law degree said that that would be fine. Um, and so I filed for the trademark of M U U L hoping that I, I don't know that, that no one would notice maybe. Um, and then we get this huge packet in the mail that was just this really aggressive cease and desist letter from, from Jewel saying that we were, we were stealing all their, I don't know, just imagine like 30 pages of legal jargon about how we're essentially ruining their entire company in, in our dorm room. <laughs> um, and, and then we also combined with that, we had a bunch of issues with, with suppliers again, that like we, they sent us products that, that we'd confirmed and then they didn't fit. Oh, and then we had one that just ran with the money too. I think we wired so, 20 so we grand up, and no, 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 we lost, no, we lost, we lost five grand on that one. So what ended up happening was with, with a new product, right? With all the phone pockets that we've created before, people have already been selling that stuff. We were just printing different designs on it. So you don't have to go and create a new tool. It's called essentially like tooling. And so tooling is essentially, they'll go and take some kind of material. Usually uh, it's, they, they create something called a mold where they hollow out stuff and they can pour in different like powders and all, and all that kind of stuff to go and form that silicon material that we were manufacturing in. And so to go and create that mold, it's a lot of manual labor. It's a lot of like really like attention to detail to actually go and just pour the powder in and press it together and, and heat it up to go and make the, to make the final product. It's not a lot of manual labor. It's manual labor, but it's not very like high intensive labor. Um, and so the molding costs always cost a lot every time you go and develop anything new. Because we were developing something entirely new with the actual jewel in it, it was very expensive. It was like five grand. And I had a great guy that we were working with and he was like a super great guy. Like, like, like one of probably our most attentive supplier yet, in my opinion. And then he left the company and it transferred me over to a new person who just thought I was the bottom of the earth because we wanted revisions on things. Like we wanted like two or three revisions. And then finally they just stopped answering me after like 17 messages and emails. And I was just like, I'm not going to pursue this anymore. So uh, yeah, that one we got stiffed on, but honestly probably for the best because we probably would have got sued anyway. So uh, it, it's probably for the best in the long run. Yeah. But fun, fun learning experience to get so, with, with lawsuits. I think, I think, I think we can probably finish up with wrapping up on two topics. Um, at this point, I think everyone already kind of is ending the story. We ended up selling the business. Um, but what people don't really know is why and how the deal went down. I mean, do you want to probably kind of kick off the, the why part and I can add on it too? Yeah. Um, I, I think there are probably a few reasons. Um, I think we, we definitely saw the lower opportunity for growth after having been doing it for so long. Um, we'd come out with, with a ton of designs. We'd launched every product almost imaginable. Amazon was getting really, really difficult and expensive to compete against. A lot of 
a lot of like really sketchy stuff going on in Amazon too. You could probably read about in the news, like people bribing to, to get their listings up higher and, and it just kind of didn't seem like, you know, could we grow it? Sure. Could we 10 exit over the next two years, you know, without bribing an Amazon employee? We, we, we didn't really, uh, we didn't really think so. Um, and so I think it, you know, it ultimately came down to, we had learned a ton and we didn't really see the, the growth potential we were looking for, if it was going to be something we would pursue after, after college. And we, we had definitely talked about it and we're on and off, um, doing it as well. We, we had kind of listed it under the intention of, you know, if someone wants to buy it for the valuation that we want, we'll, we'll sell it. Otherwise we will, you know, continue to grow it and take the cash flow and put it into some other projects. Um, but it just, you know, wasn't as, as interesting and just got very, you know, competitive. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what it came down to it too. It's like, there was, there were really two, uh, I guess, three opportunities to go and continue to grow. It was launch new products on Amazon, like things that are a little bit separate out of just the self and accessory market, take a product that we were already selling and find a way to go and make it profitable to sell them on our own website instead of just Amazon. And then the third one was go the retail route. Um, and honestly, we were just, Either I think it was partially we didn't spend enough time on retail and partially just that retail is just really freaking hard. Um, and so it was kind of like one of those uh, time reward situations where like we could put a ton of time in this or we could go and sell it and use that time to go meet spent and maybe a higher leverage business or, or something like that. And to the extent that we'd come out with a new product and then within a month, someone would have replicated the entire thing like almost the exact design we did and everything. And it just, you know, it starts becoming an uphill battle very quickly when you don't control your own customer, you don't control really any of your marketing and you're, and you're beholden to one, one company, right? We, we had to hire a company full-time or not full-time. They, they worked for us on the backside on commission and all they did would file complaints against Amazon when our inventory numbers didn't match up because Amazon would all of a sudden like, yeah, Connor was saying when you lose a couple products in the beginning, it was fine. And then all of a sudden, you know, down the road to be like, oh, you know, 5,000 products didn't show up at the warehouse. And we're like, well, we lost, a, we lost a pallet. <laughs> and it would be like, well, like it did show up at the warehouse here. Like, this is when you told us you had an inventory. And then a week later, 5,000 units are missing. And they're like, oh, well, that's a really good catch. Here's your money back. And like, there are companies that just specialize in that because Amazon does not, you know, care to any extent about losing any of your yeah. stuff or reimbursing you. It's insane. And to me, I think the, the biggest reason to sell was there was the question of, okay, how much more can we grow? But the biggest thing was just the risk. Like, like you see companies like Thrasio out there, this massive PE firm, or you can call them a PE firm, yeah. Um, who just like roll up a bunch of different like Amazon companies. And they're a little bit different because now they're one of the largest, I think they are the largest Amazon seller on the platform because they have so many different brands. But like, we really like it's, it's hard to find an amazon support agent even at the scale we were selling at and so to think that look um, i think so we just have ptsd honestly from from getting suspended before and the idea of getting our account shut down again without having a single customer email address or phone number or anything that we can go and make another dollar was kind of terrifying and amazon to the support point they want to charge you i think a base of 50 grand per year plus a percentage of revenue to have a dedicated um, support person that you can email or call during business hours. 
And then that person also can't do anything. They just go to the same customer support you, you do and just email them again. Like you're, you're paying more than someone's full-time wage and, and, and what they're doing. And they can't like, they, they, they can't even do anything else. So yeah, you have, you have no recourse. You have, you can't even sue Amazon. They force you into arbitration. Like it's great, great company for buyers, but being a seller on there is a, is a, you know, definitely risky endeavor. So to bring us home at the end of the story, essentially how it all ended up happening was we were listed on a brokerage for about 10 months, uh, listed at a valuation that made us a little bit more competitive or not, sorry, less competitive because I think we listed at a higher valuation than most uh, e-commerce sellers out there were, were willing to go and list their Amazon business for. And honestly, we got a few phone calls over the months, a lot of tire kickers, a lot of people who were just like, just seeing what we were doing and, and not really that interested. Uh, or would give us, you know, some really weird offers. Um, and it got to the point where I think towards the end of senior year, we were just like kind of in mutual agreement, said like, hey, after graduation, like we're just gonna run this thing full time. Like we'll actually, you know, take it off the marketplace in the beginning of 2020 uh, and just kind of go full, full time on it. And I remember getting a text from Gio on like Christmas, uh, not wishing me happy or Merry Christmas. Gio never sends me this text. Um, it was it was more um, that we got a seller call on the 26th. And I was like, dude, I am drinking right now. Those calls are a waste of time. What are you talking about? Uh, and he's like, no, like, let's just let's just well, join it. So I, think, like, I think the conversation was, I think I sent it over and we're like, is this worth even taking? Like, are, are we going to even hop on the phone? I think we ended up. I think talking to the broker or something. And, and he was like, no, no, uh, no. Yeah, the like, broker said that she was excited. Yeah, he was like, no, make sure, like, you guys should definitely be on this call. It's definitely the most interested person we've talked to. So we're like, all right, well, we'll, 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 we'll at least take the call and see where it goes. And and on the call, she just really excited about the company, which is definitely, like, kind of awesome to hear. And we're like, shit, well, maybe maybe we don't want to well, sell she, that. She, no, I think, I think the biggest, the two biggest things for me was, one, she had bought our products before. Yeah, that was huge. She she had been a customer of ours three times, and her exact words I remember that to this day were, um, "I came on looking to buy a company, exactly like this one, and I just so happened to find this one." I think and I think she like, simply wanted to start a competitor or buy a competitor of ours, and because she came in too with like a lot of ideas on on branding and designs, and we're like, "Wow, like you, yeah, de- definitely coming in with 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 a game plan." The the craziest part to me was. On that call, she asked us only one question. Do you remember what the question was? I don't think so. She, she asked us, would you feel okay with selling? That was the question. Do you not remember Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I think she, she because like, I think she, like, she knew that we weren't, we were either going to take the price maybe that, that we had listed it for, or, you know, at this point we were content working on it full time. And I think we kind of mentioned that too. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. And yeah, because I remember her saying, like, we were kind of telling her, like, oh, you know, like, this has been our baby all throughout college. Like, you know, we really like grew it to what it is today. And like, you know, it's gonna be tough to see it leave and stuff like that. And that was her one question. And then, like, the call ended. Like, that was, that was really the only, did we talk to her again after that? Uh, I think over email, but over email. Yeah, for sure. Over email. But I, I think that was the only real interaction that we've had with the buyer. Um, and then, yeah, very swiftly after that. We, so, so our original thought was like, hey, this is December 26th of 2019. 
It's a tax play. That's what it is. Like she's trying to take it. She made a bunch of money in her companies. She's buying another business. It's a tax play. So we just kind of hit up broker and was like, hey, any any chance we could do this on like this like January first? Uh, like not gonna you know wreck the deal over it, but like it would be great to sign on January first. And he hit up the buyer and he's like, yeah, that's fine. So we uh we're kind of just getting the tax season on that now. Um, but yeah, pretty uh pretty just kind of crazy story in terms of the buying side. It was it was it went from nine months of nothing to very fast. Uh, everything happened all at once. I think de- definitely one of the one of the smoothest transactions I've seen because I thought I wanted to do investment banking and M and A for a little while, so I had a lot of exposure, kind of hopping on on different deals and and the back and forth and the negotiations and and all these like who when when are you paying for inventory and then there's a million questions around it, but I think she was, she was very content and and she she kind of hit hit exactly what we we're looking for and we didn't have any qualms with with it and she didn't either and it it just kind of turned over it's very strangely smooth but we definitely definitely appreciated it cool um so we kind of went from you selling gift cards to us selling the company so i think we we covered everything in between perfect ramp up and now now we will see what happens next all right well so it's it's now 10 p.m on a tuesday uh we'll get this thing edited out and onto the internet in the a.m um if you guys like this this is different than any other episode that we've ever done uh Gio and i also have a couple of different stories and we have a we are very opinionated people so we can definitely go on and rant about a bunch of different topics that uh we, we find very interesting but if you did like this text us tweet us hit us up because honestly these episodes are easier to do than finding a bunch of really interesting people in their 20s but we still love meeting people and the whole point of this podcast is to grow the network and meet really cool people and make awesome content so we're definitely going to keep on doing that um but let us know if you like the show 